0: Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. coastofmaine.com. You're listening to Episode 21 of the Sustainable Minimalists Podcast.
1: You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello
0: there and welcome. I am very excited today to round out our two-part series on zero-waste living with a conversation on the drawbacks to eco-minimalism and sustainability. My guest today comes armed to our conversation with specific challenges that she and many other individuals face as they attempt to live low or zero-waste lives on a low income. Today we're talking about the finances of sustainable living, of course. It's actually not as frugal of a lifestyle as it may seem on the outset. But we're also talking about the mental energy it takes and the significant time commitment it takes to be a sustainable minimalist. So first, my guest and I today, we get a bit philosophical. We're talking about whether environmental consciousness is an upper class privilege. And we're talking about why it is that in order to be sustainable, we almost always have to spend money. Why is that? Then we get practical. My guest champions the think global, act local mentality, and she explains it in detail in the episode. She also gives us some real practical tips that anyone, regardless of their income level, can do daily to live a more eco-conscious existence. Her name is Ganche Azade, and she is a graduate student studying philosophy. She has a passion and persistence about her that is truly invigorating, and I hope she reinvigorates you, just as she did me. Now, if you haven't checked out part one of this two-part series yet, definitely do so. The first part of this series is episode 20. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I'll also link to two freebies to get you started on a zero waste journey the right way, I'll link to them also in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com dot com forward slash zero two one, m a m a minimalist dot com forward slash zero two one. Enjoy the interview. Hi Goncha, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on and volunteering to talk about your zero waste journey. It's a hot topic and I welcome any wisdom. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, Definitely has been a hot topic for me lately. So it's nice to have a community to engage with.
0: Tell us about yourself. When did you start your zero waste lifestyle? What turned you on to it? And tell us all about your zero waste household.
1: So a little background about me. I recently graduated from University of Oregon. So I moved from Oregon to Denver, uh, where I'm currently living zero waste and working. My zero waste journey, I want to say started pretty immediately when I moved to Denver and saw how different the conversation was about environmentalism and Recycling and just general public willingness and compliance and separating recycling and trash and just those kinds of daily things, noticing that there's not recycling bins. There's not, well, definitely not compost bins in <laughs> a lot of places and looking into that. And I really think the internet, uh, being the black hole that it is, led me here. <laughs> and I've done some reading around that, some podcast listening. Obviously, it's how I found out about this show as well as a few other environmental podcasts that I listen to. And I've just been diving deeper and deeper into what I can do and trying to make myself more educated about environmentalism in general and not just zero waste. But this is definitely a big part that I'm still working out and will probably always be working on.
0: Yeah, you speak to the importance of it being a lifestyle change. It's not something that's one and done right? It's um, it's a constant, I don't want to say struggle, but it's a, it kind of can be to go against the grain and live a different way. It's a constant lifestyle change. So tell us, what does your household look like with regards to waste production?
1: Sure. So my household is me, my partner, and our two cat children. Waste production is pretty, it was pretty low. I want to say because we're only two people prior to starting zero waste. So as I scaled back, you know, little by little, first kitchen, then wardrobe, then food, kind of focusing on one area at a time, as people usually do with the system, which I think is so helpful because I don't know what I would have done if I just looked at the house at all at one Mm. time. I probably would have just changed my mind immediately. Mm. <laughs> but co- compartmentalizing and starting with bathroom, going to kitchen, bedroom, then thinking about the cat stuff, something like that. And that's obviously going to look p- different for people with children. But I think that helped me see where my reduction was actually happening. And having a different like, small trash can in each room actually helps with that too for me. So that was the first thing I did was make sure there's a trash in each room and then kind of study what's going on and what are the most common things in there and what are the things I haven't had to worry about or focus on yet. And maybe we'll have to in the future because I haven't like ran out of that particular thing, for example.
0: On last week's episode, episode 20, I had two guests on who are zero waste advocates and they argue that zero waste living for them, has been a gigantic financial money saver. And intuitively, that would make sense, right? Because disposable items are always a recurring cost. I'm thinking like toilet paper and tissues and paper towels, et cetera, et cetera. Those are monthly costs. If they're disposable, they need to be bought again and again. That's that's why companies love disposables. And then again, when it comes to prepackaged foods... They're always marked up because the consumer gets stuck paying for the cardboard and the plastic and the cellophane or whatever it is that it's packaged in. But I'm wondering whether for you living on a budget, you've seen a a difference. Is zero waste living on a
1: budget feasible? I definitely think it's feasible. It definitely is not going to be I want to say attractive for anybody who doesn't have like the mental that mental energy and time to think about these things and make the changes and I definitely know there's people who are on the hustle and you worry about making rent so you're not really thinking about your trash and that's that makes sense given our society and I don't I don't think there's anything at fault for that how many hours have I spent doing this stuff total, maybe even in the last few months. And it feels like I kind of have another part-time job.
0: What specific challenges have you experienced as you attempt to go zero waste on a budget?
1: There's different things that just pop up every day. So today I just thought of uh, one random thing that I've never given a lot of thought to before, but Um, The microfibers that and plastic and small bits of plastic that get washed up in our washers and get put into our water systems and oceans are a big problem. And while that's not necessarily waste that we have to worry about, in a way, it still it still feels that way to me. Right? There's our linens and our clothing bits of it are going into the ocean, and that. It kind of feels like littering to me in a weird way. So I saw this item called the Guppy Friend Bag, which is supposed to be a bag that you could put your laundry in and then put on the washer, and it catches all of those instead of it going into the water systems. And I felt guilt because I was like, oh, this is $30. And, you know, it's kind of a small bag. I would have to buy a couple And I immediately thought, I can't do that right now and felt a kind of guilt over, well, how long is it going to be until I can save for this and get this? And how guilty should I or should not, should I not feel about the linens and microfibers that are getting taken into the water stream until then? And kind of hustling with that, like ethical and financial restraint coming to a standpoint. Yeah, that's
0: a really good point that you bring up, which is a lot of times being eco-friendly slash zero waste comes with an added upfront cost. And I find myself always wondering whether the upfront cost is actually necessary or if it's just another marketing ploy, right? Like I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but, oh, yes, I got one. Purchasing. Family cloth so that they're all uniform and attractive. Like, is that necessary or is it just another like money spending consumerist ploy? And I mean, I'm not sure whether your guppy bag is a ploy or not. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying it is, but I'm saying, like, why do we have to spend money to be eco conscious? And again, I'm not sure if there's a question there. It's just more of an observation. Like, why is spending money always the the end all?
1: Right. And that's, and I think that's one of the hard parts about, you know, going, like you said earlier, going against the grain of your society, because that severely limits what things are accessible to you and what resources you can and cannot take advantage of. And like, even for recycling, We have to pay for our electronics to get recycled, right? Um, And a lot of recycling drop-offs, there's an entrance fee. And sometimes if you just have a bag of recycling and you're going to get charged like $15 as if you're a truckload, that's just not worth it, uh, especially if you're on a budget and you're like, the last thing I'm going to pay for is my recycling.
0: Yeah, again, an an excellent point that people might not think of, disposing of electronics in your trash is absolutely devastating for the environment. I'm sure you know, but maybe some of our listeners don't. The electronics that we all have and we outgrow or upgrade, they, they leach chemicals into the landfill and they pollute the soil and they pollute the water that we all share. So it's not only a Sacrifice on our time to hold on to those things until there is a recycling drive for electronics, but it is also almost always a financial sacrifice, too, because you have to pay to properly dispose of these things. And if you think just about your cell phones, for example, that the average American upgrades every, what, every two years, three years max, that, that adds up. That That is an incredible time sacrifice, but also a financial one as well. So thank you for bringing that up. So what other um, challenges have you seen as you attempt to live a zero waste lifestyle on a budget?
1: Sure. So I definitely uh, want to emphasize that these are things that you should, in your zero waste journey, tackle one by one. Because if you try to <laughs> upfront handle all these, it's very easily going to seem overwhelming and not feasible, which ultimately, um, I think it can be for most people with the right resources and help and community. Definitely. One thing that's been most difficult for me living in the city in Denver and living without a vehicle, which is one, uh, already kind of environmental sacrifice, right? In itself makes it then difficult to recycle or Donate clothes. Really, mostly those those two. Because with public transportation, you don't have access to a lot of these more industrial sites mm-hmm. that are on the outside of the city or in not typical bus routes because they are like recycling centers or near dumps, and definitely not walkable. At least, at least I don't conveniently live next to a recycling center. Wish I did, but so I feel like that would be the case for most people who bike, walk, or use public transportation as their main modes of transportation.
0: It can probably seem as though you're eating up all your free time properly disposing of your stuff.
1: Oh, for sure. And I've definitely Googled these places and seen, oh, it would be a four-hour bus ride. <laughs> I was like, this is my Saturday, um, which I'm just not going to – you got to value time as well. <laughs>
0: Just a big public praise for you for all that you do. Even if it isn't 100% perfect, any attempt at living more eco friendly is commendable. So if you can't do 100%, I don't know if anybody truly can. Um, you know, you, you deserve praise for what it is you do. So don't beat yourself up too much for not traveling four hours on the bus to (laughs) a discard of X, Y, and Z. So this is more of a theoretical question. And again, I don't even know if it's a question. Um, It's just something that's been swirling around in my mind for years. And it's that during the last political campaign that we had in this country, I heard an argument. And the argument was essentially that caring for the environment is an upper-class problem. Because, And I'm going to hash this out. um, Because people who live on budgets and perhaps people who live paycheck to paycheck have more immediate concerns, right? They're concerned about putting food on the table they're concerned about electricity and heating their homes and that's all absolutely understandable so the argument goes that caring about this planet which may or may not but probably will not perish tomorrow that is an upper class problem because the upper class the the people with expendable income you know they have their immediate needs met already What is your response to that?
1: Like I said earlier, I think definitely zero waste is feasible. And when I say zero waste, so I just, I don't mean just zero waste. I mean, environmentally friendly choices like using public transit, which does happen to be cheaper a lot of the times because you're not paying things like car insurance, accident fees, oil changes, all the things that come with those kinds of luxuries. Um, I definitely think there are times when environmentally friendly or conscious zero waste like choices are cheaper and more affordable than the opposite. And sometimes, you know, I think you could say the flip flip thing and say people with more expendable income are more wasteful um, because they're able to spend on more frivolous frivolous things or really just materials that they want but don't need. So I think both sides will tend to even out in terms of the difficulties in some arenas versus others. But things I think of when I think of what do wealthy people do that are environmentally friendly that I don't see as totally accessible to lower middle class, lower um, or more expensive ways of being environmentally friendly like having electric cars or hybrids. Um, changing water fixtures and systems to low flow and having solar panels, all of which are not in my means. And I don't know if they'll ever be in my means, but but that said, I'm not really worried about it because I'm, I feel like I'm doing things I can in my way. And I just think a lot of the time you just got to come back to that, I work with kids, so that old, you know, worry about what you're doing, not what everyone else is doing kind of mentality when I worry about those things and get caught up in those little microaggressions.
0: Yeah, no, and that's, I used to work with kids too. And I feel like with adult problems, it's always uh, really smart to go back to like a kid response, which is, you worry about you. (laughs) I love that. Do you think from your experience that minimalism and sustainability are sisters and that they go hand in hand?
1: I really do. For me, definitely, I have a hard time teasing the two out and separating them. And I feel like I accidentally slip into one or the other a little bit more, even in answering questions and then saying, wait, wait, I'm supposed to be talking about zero waste. (laughs) But wait, they're the same thing.
0: Well, I'm the same and that's why this podcast exists. So (laughs) is
1: there anything else you'd like
0: to add to this conversation before we close?
1: Yeah, honestly, um, I think joining a community is super awesome and helpful, not just in terms of like moral support and everybody rooting each other on, at least in the communities I've experienced on social media, like Facebook. There are rules outright set in the groups that are no judgments here. Everybody is doing the best that they can. You can ask anything you want. You could admit your faults. Um, you could you know, express your grievances, which I definitely have done. Um, and I think that's a good place to start, to see that there's a lot of people who are just starting this also, and you're not too late to join the game or anything dorky like that, right? It's not the high school clubs that you can't enter or something um, definitely not exclusive. And I think that's a good place to start is to get energy built up and form a community and people who, you know, are going to um, sympathize or empathize with you and get back to you ultimately.
0: And, just to back that up is, you know, going against the grain, I, I'm talking about this a lot lately, going against the grain as in going against what everybody else is doing and what modern society suggests or tells you is normal is hard work. So getting online or finding your community elsewhere to, to give you that backing that your life choices are valid, even though they're not what everybody else is doing, must really help.
1: Definitely. And I want to say that, especially if you're not somebody who's living in a big city or one of the most uh, urbanized areas, it could be even more difficult or you might just feel isolated culturally depending on your community. I've definitely experienced that. But fortunately, the internet is really helpful with finding like-minded people, if not locally, in other places that you can still communicate with.
0: Ganche, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and discussing the challenges you've faced as you attempt to live more sustainably. I have honestly gained so much from this conversation, and I've been invigorated by your persistence, frankly. You're a pioneer and a model for all of us who attempt to do right for our earth. So thank you.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to have had this conversation as well.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ganche as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Ganche said a couple important points during our chat that I quickly want to highlight. The first one was in terms of zero waste living, something that really helped her as she began her journey was to keep a small trash can in every room. This helped her to see and visualize the trash that she and her partner were creating. My guests last week, Julie and Laura, also echoed this sentiment. And one of the freebies for this week is the zero waste audit to help you Understand what it is you're throwing away before you attempt a zero-waste lifestyle. Go on and get it along with the zero-waste wish list. They're both free in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash zero, two, one. Ganchai also mentioned the importance of using resources that already exist in your community. So find out what the resources are and tap into them. Don't go recreating the wheel. Just use what already exists. A third thing Ganche said, which I love, is to worry about you, right? There's no sense worrying about what so-and-so is doing in terms of sustainability. You can only do the best you can do. And it was Laura in episode 20 who also echoed this sentiment. Do the best you can in the season you're in. And finally, Gonche mentioned the importance of finding your tribe, finding your community and tapping into them for resources and most importantly, support. Now there is a Sustainable Minimalist community if you're so interested. You can find us by searching Facebook for Sustainable Minimalists. It is a group for anyone and everyone who listens to and receives benefit from this podcast. Next week, we are diving headfirst into minimalism, and I am speaking with two KonMari consultants. I'm asking them all about Marie Kondo's earth-shattering, decluttering method. We're getting all into the controversy around Marie Kondo's decluttering method as it pertains to sustainability. And I am asking my most pressing questions about the KonMari method with two people